As I was coming into this sermon, preparing for this message, which, by the way, is called The Plan, I was trying to find that one thing that you could take home, that you could think on, and I, I found this video. By the way, if you're listening online or if you just want to write it down, that's for King and Country. It's called Baby Boy. Endless hope, relentless joy started with a baby boy. Uh, that really, we could leave now. Um, there it is. But we have, we have to move on. There's some things I need to share with you today. And, and this first story that I want to tell you, this particular story is of an event that it's claimed actually never happened. Okay, so there's a bit of a conspiracy theory with this event. Uh, one, pa- one half says it happened. The other half says it allegedly or never happened. And so I'll let you decide. Uh, but the point I want to make flows right into this. And, it's, and the point is how we plan, how God plans, and how we like to still be in control. It goes like this. It's a story about a radio conversation between a U.S. Navy aircraft carrier, the USS Abraham Lincoln, and Canadian th- authorities off the coast of Newfoundland in October of 1995. It allegedly goes like this. The Canadians, please divert your course 15 degrees to the south to avoid collision. A. Uh, I don't know if they really said A, but all the shows I watch, they do. Americans respond, recommend you divert your course 15 degrees to the north to avoid a collision. Canadians, negative A, you will have to divert your course 15 degrees to the south to avoid a collision. Americans, this is the captain of a U.S. Navy ship. I say again, divert your course. Canadians, no, I say again, you divert your course. Americans, this is the aircraft carrier USS Lincoln, the second largest ship in the United States Atlantic Fleet. We are accompanied by three destroyers, three cruisers, and numerous support vessels. I demand that you change your course 15 degrees north. I say it again, that's one five degrees north, or countermeasures will be undertaken to ensure the safety of this ship. The Canadians respond, this is a lighthouse, your call. You can see why that's allegedly, we don't want to fess up to that really happening. If it did, I I looked on Snopes, it it says that it never really took place, but it makes for a great illustration. You see, that's the whole thing. It's representative of our lives as Christians. It's us being the boat and God being the lighthouse. We often think that our planning is the best. We set our course and we're not going to veer off of our course Uh, You pick something in life and you set your course, college, jobs, marriage. Well, since you brought up marriage, let's talk about parents and planning and things like that. Let's take, oh, baby planning, for example. There we go. (laughs) Just that easy. Think about it. A young couple, they meet, boy meets girl, they fall in love, they get married They realized that marriage was expensive, so they decided to save up for a bit before having a baby. So it lines up. Marriage, financial stability, save up, get the house ready, have a baby. By the way, if you're considering saving up for a child, you should know. I think if if prospective parents were to tally the cost of having a baby before they conceived, the U.S. population would undoubtedly suffer. (laughs) Kids, if you ever wonder, do your parents love you? Let me explain it to you this way. In a 2010 USDA report, the average middle-income family will spend roughly $12,000 on child-related expenses in their baby's first year of life. They love you very much. That's almost a car. By age two, parents are up to more than $12,500 a year. 
Now, I also found an online article for, from CNN Money that reports from daycare to the monthly grocery bill, the cost of raising a child is climbing at a rate that many families can't keep up with. It will cost an estimated $241,080 for a middle-income family couple to raise one child born last year for the next 18 years. Now, that's also up 3% from 2011, and it doesn't even include the cost of college. And by the way, this particular study was done last year in 2012, which means that information is now outdated, and you could probably add about another 3 or 4% to that number uh, if you really want to do the math. But here's the thing. We all make plans for something. We all like to be in control. We all like to be the captain of our own ship. From the very beginning, as humans, we've shown our ambitions that we think we know more than God. We think that we can be in control of our destinies. It's something that many people in our world believe today and live out. I control my destiny. You see it in the movies all the time. There's a man named George Fall from Summit, Univ- Summit Theological Seminary. He has a recorded series. I encourage you to listen to this series. It's, it's actually almost four hours long if you listen to the whole thing. Uh, it's called The Eternal Struggle. And it lays out in great detail the biblical recordings of God's plan for the Messiah and Satan's attempts at undermining that plan. And what you need to know is that God's plan to send a baby, a baby boy, that would change everything. And it's first noted back in Genesis in the first book of the Bible. You see, Adam and Eve were tricked by Satan, but it, but it happened because they weakened the spoken word of God. And they thought that their plan was better than God's plan. Turn to Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. That's the first book of the Bible, chapter 2. It's right after the books of the Old and New Testament. Right there, it's easy to find. Chapter 2, verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. Verse 16. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. Now quickly turn to chapter 3. and I want to read this to you. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from the tree, from any tree of the garden? Uh, Chapter 3, verse 2. Now the woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. You see, the, the first problem here is that she weakened the spoken word of God. Because divine permission to eat freely of any tree was what was given first. And then she subtracted from God's word, which, by the way, when we start subtracting from God's word, that's when we begin to get into trouble ourselves. He said to them, you may freely eat. And she replies to Satan, you may eat, is what he said. And when Eve quoted back to the devil, she left out the word freely. You may be thinking, well, so what? So what? Nothing. If you don't see God as the giver of every good and perfect gift, it is very likely that you're going to fall into sin because you're going to leave some things out. That's a big so what? God had a plan. God's plan was paradise. Satan had a plan. His plan was to separate us from God. And he's good at what he does. Verse 4, the serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. 
For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And, and we know what happened after that. Adam and Eve ate and then they're expelled out of the garden. They're expelled out of paradise. And there in Genesis, long before Christ would ever walk on this earth, God began to outline his plan. His plan for the Messiah, the baby that would change everything. And here we find the first prophecy of the birth of Christ. And and as we will see before the end of this month, a baby does, in fact, change everything in our lives. Whether you're the parents, the grandparents, the aunts, the uncles, the brothers or sisters. And more specifically, this baby indeed changes everything. Will you pray with me? Father God, I thank you. Thank you for the opportunity that we can be here. We can open your word. That we can celebrate your son. That we can see your plan. That we can hopefully shed ourselves out of the way so that we follow your plan and not interrupt it. I pray that, that you will just move boldly in us as individuals and as a congregation. We won't just hear your word today, but we will live it, that we'll respond to it. We'll be a reflection of it, uh, not just for the rest of the day, but throughout the week and the months and the years to come. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So what was this first prophecy of Christ? In Genesis chapter 3, verse 14, we read this. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle and more than any, every beast of the field. On your belly you will go, and dust you will eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. Now, a few things you need to know about Satan before we really go any any further. First off, he's not God. Second off, he's not all-knowing. Third, he's not all-seeing. Fourth, he's not everywhere at once. Five, he is not all-powerful. And six, he was a created being. He is a created being. All that being said, he only knows the things that are revealed to him or the things that he is told. And right here, he is told that the seed of the woman will bruise him on the head and that Satan would bruise the seed of the woman, the Messiah, on his heel. Enmity between Eve and the devil and between her seed and his seed. Christ is going to crush the head of Satan. The prophecy was that a Messiah was coming into the world, that he would be the seed of a woman. This indicates virgin birth. It doesn't say the seed of man. He says, the seed of the woman, which is Christ, her seed is going to crush his head and he will bruise his heel. Now, let me ask you, would you rather be bruised on the heel or have your head crushed? You can heal up pretty quickly from a bruised heel. Uh, Getting your head crushed in, that's pretty permanent. And let me just tell you, when Christ rose from the dead, it was fulfillment of this prophecy. And he beat death. He crushed Satan. But I'm way ahead of myself here because... As of right now, Jesus hasn't been born yet. But the point of all this information is that God made a promise of the coming Messiah. His plan would begin to unfold. But Satan said, I'm going to stop this seed of woman from coming. And here in Genesis, we have the first prophecy of Jesus approximately 4,000 years before he was born. You know what that tells me? That tells me that no matter what we do or what we think we're doing or what we're planning or what we think we're planning, that God already has a plan long before you and I were around. Long before Mary or Joseph or King Herod or the wise men or anyone else, he had a plan. He had a plan of salvation. He had a plan of redemption. He had a plan of restoration. And it started with this preparation. 
You see, the Old Testament prophets were that preparation. They didn't just prophesy to hear themselves talk. They didn't just prophesy so they could brag around town, well, God's speaking to me, he's not speaking to you. That's not why they did it. It was preparation for what was to come. For some 4,000 years, God has been preparing his people for his plan. And from the beginning of time, he was preparing them for the physical birth of his son. And as we work through this plan, we work through this series even, the plan, the surprise, the reveal, the announcement, those are the coming weeks, the visit in this series, we will show how this baby changes everything. Here's an example from George Fall's series, The Eternal Struggle, that I want to share with you because I think it it shows just how indeed the continuation of the lineage of Christ, one baby, changes everything. Now listen closely. Before they went into into Babylonian captivity, the Bible says that when Jehoram came to the throne, and by the way, Jehoram was a descendant of David through Solomon, okay? So God's sticking to his plan. And you can, you can track this through the Old Testament. Um, the Bible says that he arose, Jehoram arose, and killed all of his brothers and nephews. Jehoram has killed the royal line of David. He was the last one of the seed of David. Jesus is supposed to be coming through this kingly line. I bet Satan was getting excited at this point. Oh, he's killed them all. He's the last one. When he dies of old age, it's done. And he's killed anyone who could become king, with the exception of himself. And on his life basically hangs our salvation. But then he had some kids. He had some boys, to be, to be exact. And they ruled for a while. And the Bible says that when Apollias saw that her son was dead, one of, one of his sons, she rose and killed all the seed royal of the house of David of the tribe of Judah. Basically, if her dead son couldn't be king, nobody could. She would have succeeded. Then we would be lost. She tried to kill all the ones from whom the Messiah would enter this world. She tried to wipe out all of those kingly babies. And once again, I bet Satan's getting all amped up about it. He's high-fiving fellow demons. I don't know how they celebrate or what they do, but he's getting excited. He's got to be. He's undermining the plan of God. But then there's this young girl. And I can't help, can't help thinking of, of the Scooby-Doo series. <laughs> I would have gotten away with it, too, if it wasn't for you meddling kids. Because here's this woman, this, this mom, who, who kills the rest of the babies, the young men who are going to... But this one little girl. And the Bible says this young girl hid her little nephew in the temple of God. And if that little girl hadn't hid that little boy in the temple of God, you and I would have died in our sins. That's how close Satan came to extinguishing the royal line of David that Jesus would come from. Uh, by the way, that little boy was Joash. And you can read about him. And that little girl was a part of God's plan. Satan had tried many times before that and many times after to extinguish God's people. And this was no exception. But it came down to that one little boy, Joash, being, being saved in the temple of God, being hidden. Man, I get chills when I think about that, that God's plan was that exact. That no matter what Satan offered, no matter what man decided to follow, God had a plan. God God has a better, more perfect plan. From the very beginning, he had a plan of restoration, a plan of redemption. Our God has a plan of eternal magnitude. And even though Satan would try and destroy the line of David, all the Old Testament prophets, or all the cool ones anyways, talk about what's to come. 
Isaiah tells us in chapter 9, verses 6 through 7, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. We can't forget Jeremiah chapter 33, verses 14 through 18. He's talking about the Davidic kingdom, the kingdom, the, the lineage of Jesus through King David. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good word which I have spoken concerning the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch of David to spring forth and he shall execute justice and righteousness on the earth. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell in safety. And this is the name by which she will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. For thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel. And the Levitical priests shall never lack a man before me to offer burnt offerings, to burn grain offerings, and to prepare sacrifices continually. And after 400 years of silence even, as we fast forward from the Old Testament to the New Testament, 400 years of silence, his plan would be revealed. Not like we might think. After all, many of the Jews missed it at that time. They were looking for an earthly king who would come with splendor and all these things. And how different God's plans are than ours. Because God in his infinite wisdom knew that a baby, this baby, not just any baby, but his baby, would change everything. And during Jesus' 30 plus years on earth, Emmanuel would change everything. He fulfilled every prophecy that was spoke about him. He healed the sick. He made the blind see. He would follow his father's plan even when it would lead him to his death. Because you see, that was the plan. This baby would be our sacrifice, our atonement for sin, and this baby would be our redemption story. Amen? What was destroyed in the garden through his sacrifice would be restored. And his plan, God's plan continues today for those who choose to accept him. This plan allows for us to spend eternity with him. And just as he tried to prepare the early world for Christ coming to live among them, he has given us his word so that we may prepare for Christ to return. You see, in the Old Testament, in that time and prophecy, it would all point to Christ's birth. And now time and scripture point to his return and to his heavenly reign for eternity where we will be with him forever. Today, we're going to close out our time of worship with a response time. The goal for this time is that we reflect on the things we've heard. We've had a great time of worship through prayer and songs and through giving our gifts and thinking on the word of God and we've, we've heard the word. My prayer is as we come into this time of response that you'll take the time you need to examine yourself against the word. Reflect back on your week. Remembering, like I said last week, your body is a temple. During this response time, maybe your response is to clean out the temple. Have a time of communion with God after you examine yourself. Take time. Pray and meditate on His Word. Maybe you're in a place where your best response, like I said, is just to simply sing and let the words of these songs be your prayer. 
Think about what the elements mean. They reflect on what Christ has done for us. They reflect on that plan, that redemptive plan. When you feel you're ready, feel free to come and partake of communion. If, if you need to have someone bring you communion, just ask or raise your hand. And by the way, if during this time your response is one of baptism, don't, don't hesitate. Come forward. Maybe your response is, is one that, you know, you just need prayer. Uh, you need to pray with someone. The elders are here. We've even got a quiet place set aside where you can go and pray. We'll pray with you if that's what you need. Larry's going to share some communion thoughts with us at this time. Listen with your heart and your mind wide open and then respond to the word of God.